gave everything for us, God. So we are here to proclaim that we just want to open our arms and surrender to you. We want to give everything to you, Father. And we're so thankful that you meet us as we are right here in our brokenness. And Lord, in our, in our messed upness. Because I look at myself sometimes and I just, I just have to be thankful for what you've done for me. Because there's no possible way that I could do it on my own. There's no possible way that I could earn rightness before holy God. And so I stand before you today, God, messed up but healed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray that we would be able to sit in these moments and just feel the freedom and know the freedom that only comes in the name of Jesus, that we would stop believing Satan's lies, Lord. He'll lie to us every moment that we are not loved and that we're not cared for and that there isn't someone who can redeem our brokenness, but there is, and his name is Jesus. And so we are thankful for Jesus, and we claim the name of Jesus, our King. We love you, God, and we need you. And all God's people said, amen. Before you have a seat, I want you to go to five different people, and I want you to say, got milk? Like, this is not a statement, okay? You're not saying you have milk to give them. You're saying, got milk? Like, you want some? And you're asking them if you have. So it's a question. Arise in your voice. Got milk? Five people, go. You guys can have a seat, and as you're sitting down, you can find your Bible, whether it's on your phone or the Bible under the seat in front of you. Or if you brought your Bible, you can get that and turn to First Peter. We are in our uh, Resident Aliens series. Um, we're going to be in First Peter, the end of chapter 1, verse 22, all the way to the beginning of chapter uh, 2. Just a few verses here, so let's read that. First Peter... 122, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a, sincerely, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, gospel. The word gospel actually means good news, which assumes there's bad news that it needs to come out of, right? And this is the word, and this word is the good news that was preached to you, beginning of verse, chapter 2. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long, crave, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here's the deal. Here is the gospel that every single person, every single person on the planet has a sin problem, right? And this really came alive to me when I had kids because I did not, I, I had to actually work really hard, right? And I'm so glad that Heather is better at this than I am because we had to work really, really hard 
to teach our kids how to be respectful, to teach our kids how to make good choices, to teach our kids how to follow Jesus, to teach our kids what morality meant, all of these things. But for some reason, we did not have to teach them how to be disrespectful. We didn't have to teach our kids how to scream and yell and make bad choices and say things that they don't mean to their parents, right? We don't have to teach our kids how to make bad choices. Somehow, they just do that all on their own, right? Here's why. Because it's natural. It is exactly how every single person is born into this world. We have a sin problem, right? It is the nature of all humanity, right, to make bad choices. It really is. It's the nature of all humanity to make bad choices. We live in a culture where morality and goodness are the epitome of life. If you, live in, if you want to live a normal, good, moral life and help as many people as possible, then that has to be good enough to get into heaven, right? I mean, it's got to be. You may even be in the room this morning, and this may be really hard for you to hear. Because we want to believe so bad that people are naturally good. That there's even a little bit of good in the people around us. We want to believe that. And you know what? That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that your neighbor down the street that you've never told about Jesus and that really there's no reason why they would know who Jesus is. They want you, he wants you to believe that they can be good enough so that you don't have to say anything to them, right? Like, they must be. I can tell you this, that Heather and I, the way we live our lives and the things that we do, there are some people, there's some people even on our street, their life does not look much different from ours. Right? They give money to charities. They do great things for their kids. They love their neighbors. They do some, they do some pretty awesome things. They're really good people. Satan wants us to look at them and say, man, <laughs> I, and I do, I do. I struggle with this. Like, I look at them, and I've said to Heather before, this is heartbreaking to me. How is it that I look at them, and their life does not look so much different from mine, right? But they're on their way to hell. What do I do about that? Satan wants me to do nothing because in my subconscious, he wants me to believe that there is good enough. But the truth of the matter is there's not good enough. <laughs> that one little bad thought is enough to offend the holiness of God. Nobody's good enough to earn their way in heaven. So this is kind of weird, but this verse that I'm about to read to you gives me a whole lot of comfort, okay? I don't know if anyone's ever said that about this verse before, but listen to this verse. It's from Jeremiah 17:9. This gives me a whole lot of comfort as I read this verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And a lot of translations say desperately wicked. Who can understand it? For me, that's good news, right? When I read that, I'm like, finally, I understand why I do the stupid things that I do. I understand the thoughts that I have. Like, there's an explanation for the fact that I am so messed up. 
I'm serious. This is, this is good news for me because when I hear people, if I, if I was just to hear constantly, no, people are generally good, people are generally good, people are generally good, people are generally good, then I have a problem, right? Because if general goodness was enough to get me into heaven, then I'm in trouble. Because I look at my life and I hear people are generally good and I'm thinking, why am I so messed up? I'm serious. I think about these things. Like, why do I say the things that I say? Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I get as angry as I get with my kids and flip off the handle sometimes? Why do I treat my wife the way that I treat her, right? Why do I think about getting revenge on those who have hurt me? Why do I gossip? Why do I do these things? I was at camp this week, and the speaker was a friend of mine, and he was trying to make the point to the kids that every single human being has the capacity under the right circumstances to do some of the most horrific things that you could imagine in your mind, right? I've never actually physically murdered somebody, but I've murdered some people with my brain, right? I mean, the Bible says that that's what happens. If you hate somebody, it's like you're murdering them, right? Under the right circumstances, could I possibly do the same thing in real life? There's some pretty horrific things that some of the people in this room, some of you have done, right? And you're sitting here in your shame, not understanding that there is a God that loves you and is more powerful than what you have done or have thought about doing. Because honestly, sometimes I sit in my shame just about the things I've thought about doing. I'm like, I can't believe I just thought that thought. I've even thought terrible thoughts sitting in church before, right? Not about any of you, obviously. But I, I can sit in that shame for quite a while. So I get messed up in my head, right, sometimes. But I hear that. And the truth of God is that every single heart is desperately wicked. Oh, that makes sense to me. That's why I do these things. That's why I feel the things that I feel. That's why there is this struggle. Our sin separates us from God and condemns us to an eternal separation from God in hell forever. Which, based on what I just said, based on what Jeremiah just read there, right, that's fair. We get what's coming to us, right? That is fair. Nobody wants to believe that that is what is fair. But if God is a perfect God, then anything less than that would not make holiness a great thing to aspire to, right? Because if holiness defines what God's standard is for eternity in heaven... And holiness is, I mean, God's standard is perfection, right? God's standard is himself. God's standard is the fact that he makes the rules and we don't, right? Every single time, not every single time, a lot of the times in the Bible, the word but is there. There's a lot of awesome buts in the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. If I had not made eye contact with a few people there, that would have been all right. <laughs> all right? Because so often you hear the word but in the Bible. I'm going to look over here. And uh, it's, it's, it follows something like, 
You have a problem. You are depraved. You are in your sin. You are on your way to hell. You are condemned. You are this. You are this. You are this. And it's a lot of whole negative stuff. And then it says, but that's not the end of the story. Right? So the fact that my heart is desperately wicked above all else is good news to me because it explains to me why I do and think some of the things I do. But it's not the end of the story. That is the gospel. Right? So we are condemned by our sin, but God took what was fair for us. I've said this before. But fair for us... (laughs) is that we don't get a second chance. Fair for us is that we've offended God and we deserve to spend eternity in hell and we don't deserve a good life here on earth. I'm also convinced that sometimes Satan can use morality as a smokescreen to seeing Jesus and our need for him and he can use riches and he can use great and awesome things when people get to Live a great life here on earth. But here's the thing. I've, I've said this before. I've heard a lot of Christians say this before. Man, I live for Jesus. Why does my life stink? Like, why am I struggling financially? Why can't I get ahead? Why this? Why that? And these heathens over here, right, they got more money than they know what to do with. They got more cars than they could drive in a year, right? Why is that? Well, guess what? If the Bible is true, and I believe it is, I don't want all that stuff. Because I know, I know how Satan is going to try to use it in my life. That stuff isn't bad. But the love of it, and the draw to it, it will only ever draw me away from what the gospel really is. It will only ever draw me away that the God, from the fact that the gospel has nothing to do with the clothes that you're wearing. Or the things that you have, it has everything to do with your heart. I mean, do we get this? So it's good news to hear your heart is wicked. You are a terrible person. All right? You're all terrible. But God took fair and he placed it on his son Jesus on the cross. He took all of your mess-ups, all of your thoughts, every single sin you've ever committed, will commit. He took them all and he placed them on Jesus, right? And then what became of you? You went from terrible to clean. You went from terrible to being able to really with a clear conscience say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When God looks at me from heaven, he does not see terrible. He sees clean. He sees child. He sees I love you no matter what. So it's good news to know that I don't live up to God's standard because I already know that in my mind, right? But it's better news to know that in Jesus there is a solution. Romans 10 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. Mercy is that God did not give us 
what we deserved. He put fair on Jesus, right? Grace is that God goes so far beyond mercy, and he actually gives us what we don't deserve. We didn't get what we did deserve, death and hell, but we also get what none of us deserve, an abundant life now in Jesus and eternal life in heaven. And the Bible is absolutely clear that this struggle, this struggle between knowing what my new identity is in Jesus, that I get to spend eternity in heaven with him, and that Jesus offers an abundant life now, the struggle and the tension between that and the sin that I continue to commit, and the, and the temptation that I am drawn into will exist until the end of time, until I die or I go see Jesus. And for me, I know when I die, I'm going to go see Jesus, right? So until I see Jesus, that tension is going to exist in me. That's why what we just read in 1 Peter is so helpful. Once we understand our salvation, then we need to live it out. It's not just a one-moment choice, right? It's not like you come to Jesus, you turn your life over to him, you repent of your sins and decide, I want to live my life differently, right? It's not only I want to live my life differently. <laughs> I don't want to sit in my shame anymore. I want to be forgiven. I want a new identity. I want to think differently. I want to live differently. I want to be different, right? You come to Jesus in a moment. It's not like, boom, all of a sudden you're perfect, and the way that you live is perfect all the time, the cool thing is you are given the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life that is pleasing to God, right? But in Philippians 2.12, it says, my dear friends, Paul says this, my dear friends, have you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When, I, when you make a choice, when somebody makes a choice to, to lose a certain amount of weight or go to the gym and you, you make a goal, with what you want to feel like, what you want to look like, what you want to eat, all that stuff. You make a goal, all right? After you make that choice, which for me it's always, hey, I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to start on Monday. But if I always say I'm going to start on Monday and then I never actually go to the gym, is a single thing about me going to change? No, right? You have to go and exercise the choice that you have made. It's the same thing. When it says work out your own salvation, it doesn't mean earn your salvation. It means now live in and become more like the one that you are putting your faith in. Work out the choice that you have made. Live in it. Exercise it. Get better at it. Right? you got to go to the gym to reach the goal. So this little passage I love because it becomes a how-to or best practices for becoming more like Jesus, working out your salvation. And if you want to sound smart, it's the word sanctification, which is really just the process of becoming more like Jesus. My, that's my favorite um, theological word in existence because I identify with it the most, right? It's not like I'm perfect at the moment of salvation, Positionally, I am. When God looks at me, he sees a perfect being because of the blood of Jesus. But in action, I am in process, right? You are in 
process. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm in process. Turn to the other person that you chose second for some reason on your other side and say, you are in process. There's some kind of freedom in saying you are in process because the bad choice you made right before you came to church was not able to be hidden when you walked in the doors just because you're in a church, right? You're in process. It's okay. But the goal is to be becoming more like Jesus. I do have to tell you, if you're going backwards, and what I don't mean by that is if you are struggling more, that's not what I mean. Because some people who struggle more are incredibly close to Christ, right? Just because you suffer more, just because you struggle, just because you live in that tension more, does not mean you're not as close to Christ. But as a believer, as someone who has put your faith in Jesus, and if you're here this morning and you haven't, listen to this. Because there is freedom in Christ. Salvation only comes in Jesus, So if you have put your faith in Jesus, and this is why so many people on the outside cannot reconcile what goes on inside the church because there's so many people inside the church who have said, I put my faith in Jesus, but there's no evidence of becoming more like Jesus. That's what I'm saying. If you're not seeking to become more like Jesus, then that is where the problem lies, right? So 1 Peter right here, what we just read is the how-to. How do I become more like Jesus? So if you're writing anything down, I want you to write this down. Okay, write this down. God's word, which is the Bible, God's word is the fuel for a changed life. God's word is the fuel for a changed life. This whole section in 1 Peter is like a cause and effect, right? If you say this, then this should be true about you. If you proclaim this, then this should be true about you. If you claim this, then this should be true about you. So let's go through it. Verse 22. The cause, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, right? Since you have obeyed the truth by putting your faith in Jesus, which has purified your souls, the effect will be love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see, you say one thing. You say, I have obeyed God. I've put my faith in Jesus, what should the effect be in my life? I will love people from a pure heart, right? That's a struggle sometimes. Moving on, verse 23 23 through 25. The cause. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, the good news that was preached to you, right? You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. There's a, a, a funky Greek word there that I can't pronounce, but it means this, undecaying, incorruptible, or immortal, right? Through the living and abiding word of God. So you have been born again in Jesus, Unable to die. Immortal. (laughs) That's like, bring it on, devil. Right? If Jesus has set you free, 
You are free indeed. You have been born again. We read about it in, in, at the beginning of chapter 1 to a living hope. You can't die. Your body may someday die physically, right? And some in the room feel that coming more than others. We know that our bodies are decrepit and decaying. But your soul, when you die physically, you will live again. And you will live again. And you will live again. Incorruptible. You are born again, unable to die. Immortal. Because that is true about you, the effect is this. Verse 2. I mean, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So, because all that is true, born again, immortal, so... Put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Here's the thing. Your life should change. Your life should change. How do we do that? You say, look, okay, I've put my faith in Jesus. I've come to him for salvation. I want to live a changed life. I want all the areas of my life to be becoming more like Jesus. But it is such a struggle every day. How do I do this? Right? How do I do this? I hear what you're saying, Nick. But it's hard. Like, what do I do? How do I do it? God's word is the fuel for a changed life. Chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says this. Like Newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. You ever, okay, raise your hand in here if you've had a baby before. If you've had to take care of a baby, right? They freak out when they don't get what they want, right? <laughs> I'm serious. Some of you are in the middle of this right now. <laughs> they freak out when they don't get what they want. They cry. Right? Because what? They need something to live. I mean, seriously, how, how complex can a baby's mind be? It's like, I get what I'm craving right now, or I die. <laughs> I swear that's what they're thinking. Like, how much more could they have possibly think? Right? I need milk, or I'm going to die. That's probably how they feel, right? That's what this is saying. Long for it so much that if you don't get it, you're dead. I want it so bad. I want it so bad that there's nothing that's going to stop me from getting it. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. All that means is that you are becoming more like Jesus, right? And then it says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The cause is, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have experienced Jesus' salvation, the effect will be you will crave pure spiritual milk. You will crave God's word, and it will change your life. And this is not just saying because we're thinking infants. It's not just talking about people who are new in Jesus. It's talking about from the moment that you come to Jesus for salvation till the moment you die, right? You are to act like a baby who needs milk 
to live. You are to crave it like a newborn baby. Not only if you are a newborn in Jesus, but everyone who is in Jesus needs to crave his word because it changes us, right? My, my experience with God's word has been interesting kind of over the years. And someone asked me recently, it wasn't really recently, it was a couple years ago, but um, they said, hey, how many times have you read the Bible, read the Bible? And I was like, oh, a few. And they said, okay, how is it that every time you read it, you get something different out of it? Well, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is is alive. That's how I get something different out of it every time I read it. It's not just, it's not like, I mean, this is amazing. This is one book. It is one book, right? It never changes. So how is it that it can possibly speak to my situation five years ago and speak to a different situation from the same passage five years later in a different situation in my life. Why? Because it's alive. It's living and active. It has the power to pierce my heart no matter what is going on in my life. We say come as you are all the time here, right? Which means we don't care what you look like when you walk in the doors. We care about what's going on in your life. But it doesn't matter what's going on in your life as to if you're allowed to cross that threshold or not, right? You're welcome here. Come as you are. And here's why. <laughs> we don't have, in and of ourselves, we got zero answers for you. I have no answers for the junk that's going on in your life. I got nothing, right? But God does. For every single one of you in this room, it does not matter who's preaching from this pulpit. This book is living and active. So I'm telling you right now, you want to change? Get in the book. Do you want to live more like Jesus? Get in this book. Just like Jesus promised that when he ascended into heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He promises that for you too. The moment you come to Jesus for salvation, he gives you his Holy Spirit for powerful living. He not only gives you his Holy Spirit for powerful living, he gives you his Holy Spirit to understand his words. I'm not saying it's all very easy to understand, right? But you... Don't just desire to live, to, don't just desire to be more like Jesus because you heard a cool word in church and, that you, and you heard that the, that, the, that the desire for Christianity is to become more like Jesus. There's a whole lot more reasons to become more like Jesus than that. Well, first of all, God said, Alan said this last week, but be holy for I am holy, right? My deepest desire should be to give God glory. My deepest desire should be to be in relationship with God. My deepest desire should be to obey the words of God. 
But guess what? If he has changed my life, I want it to change other people's lives. The single greatest thing I can do to see somebody else's life changed around me, first is to pray for them, but then also to live what I say I believe. It's impossible for me to live what I say I believe without knowing what I believe, right? You want to live a changed life, get in the word of God. Sometimes when I'm consistently in the Bible, right, and I'm in a routine and I'm reading it daily, I feel alive. I feel connected to God. I feel close to God because the Spirit is working through what I have read according to what is going on in my life at that moment. But then I go through periods of time when it's harder to read the Word, when I'm distracted, when I'm not in the Word consistently. And for me, honestly, that's holidays and vacations, right? I shouldn't have told my family that because now they're going to ask me every day on vacation, did you read your Bible yet? Right? No, but I struggle on vacation to read and holidays because my routine is all thrown off. And there's two things about that. Sometimes when I have not been in the Word, I notice it in my life. Like I'm in a, I'm in a I just feel it in my heart. I'm in a bad mood easier, or I'm like, I, I don't even know how to describe that feeling, but I feel it. I feel the, the oppression and the heaviness, and Satan is fighting, right? to get me, and I got to fight back, and I feel it, and I need it, and I crave it, and I want it back, right? But other times, if I am living a life of sin, and I get back into the Word, <laughs> it doesn't feel so good, right? Sometimes we avoid God's Word because of what it convicts us of in our heart, so you got to get back to the heart of the matter. Do you want to change? Do you want to live a changed life? Because if you don't, the moment you feel convicted by the word of God, I'm out. Right? The word of God does not justify sin in any form or fashion. Ever. And so if I'm living a consistent life of sin, if I'm stuck in an area of my life and I start reading the word, I can tell you this, you're going to feel terrible. Because it's going to convict your heart of what you need to change in your life. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because what did we talk about a couple weeks ago is that sometimes God watches us, allows us, and watches us go through a process in life of suffering, even if it has to do with our own sin, to strip us away of everything that is earthly. That's what he wants from his children. <laughs> Right? And so sometimes we look at God and we think that he's cruel and unusual in the way that he deals with us. But really, he's being kind. He's being loving. He's saying, this may hurt in this moment, but all I'm doing is I'm stripping you bare so that all you have to run to is me. And when Jesus is the only thing that you have to run to, then you will be full. Then you will have the abundant life. Then you will be changed. Right? God wants us to live changed lives. The overarching truth of being consistently in the Bible, when we crave it, when we desire it, when we want it, is that it will work to change you and make you more like Jesus. And the most abundant life that you could ever live on this earth is to live like Jesus. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, 
but it will be rewarding. Live like Jesus. In our small group, we're talking about discipleship, and the, the very definition of discipleship comes from Matthew 4.19, where it says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. You make a choice in your head to follow Jesus, right? So you got to start doing something. You got to start working it out. You got to start following him. And then it says, follow me and I will make. The point of that is that you, you let Jesus change you. Jesus was saying this to his disciples. I will make you into what I want to make you into, right? This is not about trying harder. It's not about working harder. It's about get in what God wants you to get in. Know your Savior and he will change your life. He will change you. Let God, because of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, change you from the inside out. That's what the Word of God does. Crave pure spiritual milk. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to have a chance to take communion. It's just bread that represents Jesus' body broken for us, and juice that represents his blood broken for us. But here's the deal. Every time, every, every, every time we take communion, this is not just something we do in church. It is meant for a couple things. First, Jesus said, as often as you take it, do this in remembrance of me. He wants us to remember what we did for him, but not just because he's arrogant. I mean, yes, he does deserve it, and he's worth it because he's perfect, right? But he wants us to remember him so that we remember why we are seeking the things that we are seeking. Why are we thankful? How do we need to live our lives? I'm not living this life alone. I'm living it in the power of a risen Savior. Did you hear that? I'm living it in the power of a risen Savior. He's not dead, so I have been born again immortal. He's alive so I live. Do you get that? Jesus is alive. He died. People witnessed it. He was dead, dead, dead in the grave for three days, and he defeated death. That is who gives us life. If you have been set free by Jesus Christ, then you are free indeed. If you have been given life by Jesus, then the one who defeated death, then wouldn't it make sense that you can't die? You're going to die physically, but you don't ever have to die spiritually. And if you're here this morning and you have not made the decision to give your life to Jesus, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Like right now, you don't have to know anymore. I hear that all the time. I need to know more, right? I don't know the Bible. I don't know, you know, I don't know this. All you need to know is that you have a problem you can't fix on your own. Jesus is the solution. So give your life to him. So let's pray together, and then we're going we're gonna to worship, and we're going to take communion. You can come to either of the two tables at the front or go to the back. But let's just pray for a moment. God, um, we just want to seek you. We want to surrender to you, Father. I pray for every heart in this room that they would desire to live a changed life. And only in living a changed life comes the freedom 
that Jesus offers that comes from salvation. Father, we want to live in freedom. We don't want to live in shame. We want to live in freedom. So, Father, free every heart here this morning. I pray that we would run to you in these next moments. Thank you that you take us as we are and you change us. You are faithful. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, for the next few moments, I just want you to sit in silence. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Don't be looking around. But just consider these things before God. Okay? I want you to think about these things. Take an inventory of where you are right now with God. And when the music starts, we'll begin to worship together. with him and you will put his reign on this earth to end forever and you will throw him in the lake of fire and we will serve you forever Jesus come quickly we look forward to you coming again and reigning as our king for now hold us God you are the king of our hearts and we will follow you we will love you Lord I pray through your spirit as you empower us to leave this place and go affect the world around us for the kingdom of God that your kingdom would grow that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, and we can imagine quite a bit. So I pray that in your spirit you would blow our minds. Lord, help us to be faithful to you because you are faithful to us. We love you and we need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this one more song.